0: Would you like to say who you are? Sure.
1: I'm Shane Harris, and I cover intelligence and national security for The Washington Post.
0: And I guess you are the unofficial What Next TBD UFO correspondent. How do you feel about that?
1: I feel great about it. I feel great about it. I feel like this is all coming full circle uh, and, and happy to be wearing this hat today.
0: years ago, I had Shane on the show to talk about the intelligence community's big report on UFOs, or UAPs as they like to call them. Unidentified aerial phenomena. It was the first time the military and intelligence agencies publicly laid out what they had seen, and couldn't quite identify, in the sky. So naturally, I thought of Shane when the U.S. started shooting objects out of the sky, beginning on February 4th. It's so close. It shot. Oh my god, it just shot. Oh, it see? it, popped. it, popped. it popped. That's video of a U.S. fighter jet shooting down the Chinese surveillance balloon. Then, from February 10th through the 12th, the U.S. shot down three more unidentified flying objects. One over the coast of Alaska, one over northern Canada, and one over Lake Huron. In total, there were four things.
1: Four things. Four objects.
0: And how should we think about those objects?
1: Basically, they're all balloons, as far as we know, or at least one of them for sure was a balloon. A surveillance balloon, a very large one, uh, that came over from China and was outfitted to, we think, take pictures and collect communication signals, eavesdrop maybe on phones, that kind of thing. The other three are probably balloons, it looks like, but appear to not be run by a government. These appear to be maybe commercial in nature, so these may be actually weather balloons, possibly some poor high school science experiment that went off course and may have been floating around there for some time without being noticed.
0: And now, according to your recent reporting, tell me if I've got this right, this all might have been kicked off by a mistake?
1: It could be. Turns out the weather is tricky and this huge... Fracas: this spectacle of a Chinese surveillance balloon floating across the heartland of the United States, which set off an international incident, maybe, and U.S. intelligence analysts are looking at this now, because of the weather. It may have been a mistake.
0: Yeah, you heard that right. Today on the show, how the entire spy balloon drama and ensuing shootdowns might have been caused by the weather. Shane says the story of the spy balloon starts in the third week of January. That's when it lifts off from a base on Hainan Island near the south coast of China. This part isn't a surprise to U.S. intelligence. The U.S. has watched similar devices launch from this base, which is believed to be run by the Chinese military.
1: The U.S. is tracking this. They're watching it kind of settle into a path, and it seems like it's on a trajectory that would take it over Guam, the U.S. territory of Guam, which makes sense. Chinese five balloons have floated over Guam and Hawaii in the past. The military knows this. Uh, but as it's moving along this path, something unexpected happens. It takes this rather dramatic turn in a northerly direction and starts going in a direction, on a trajectory that people did not expect and actually takes it far off the trajectory that the military might have predicted that it would be on until it goes about roughly about a 1,000 miles south of Japan, according to computer models that we've run. It looks like it begins to gain speed, veer north, and kind of move up with the jet stream. And then it finds itself around about January 28th over the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, which appears to be very far from where it was expected to be uh, when it launched off of Hainan. And at that point, it drifts over Canada, And encounters, or it's already encountered, but encounters very strong winds that may have then pushed it into the continental United States. First over Idaho, and then eventually over into Montana, which is then where people on the ground start seeing this giant white sphere floating in the sky, taking pictures of it, putting it on social media. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, I am sitting in my driveway here in Billings, Montana. And right now, there is a ground stop on our airport, and this thing is up in the sky. Local news picks up on it. NBC News then breaks the story, and that's where we all come in, right? That it's, it's balloon gate, so to speak. Um, but all of that starts uh, um, days earlier uh, off the coast of China, and this little balloon that's, well, big balloon that's floating along just seems to not be going the way that people had predicted.
0: According to your reporting, you know, the U.S. military was watching this thing because we, too, engage in quite a bit of of spying. Um, What was going on in the Pentagon and the intelligence community as this thing was floating along and taking a northerly turn?
1: We're still not entirely sure, like, on the blow-by-blow, as they're seeing this happen, what preparations are they making? Are they just watching it? You know, Are they talking about possibly trying to intercept it? That we don't know. What we do know, though, is when it comes over the coast of Alaska, I mean, it's not a surprise. And then as it's moving along, eventually, and it is going towards the continental United States, that's when we know that the military then goes and informs the president and says, "Okay, look, there is this object. We are tracking it. And then we know that pretty early on, before the military actually shoots down uh, this balloon President Biden had already given the order to shoot it down. So there was already a sense that as this balloon was moving over the continental United States, that this would be something that the military would try and you know neutralize and, and try to recover it as well so they they could examine it. So I think we can imagine that as they're watching it, veer into this very different trajectory. They might have been thinking, you know, hey, maybe China has other plans here, or perhaps this thing is getting caught up in an in a air current and is moving in an unexpected way. And later events would lend a lot of credence to that hypothesis.
0: Instead of a deliberate hostile incursion into U.S. airspace, Shane says the explanation for why this balloon ended up over the continental U.S. instead of Guam is much more banal. Simply put, it was the weather and really, really cold air.
1: If you remember the weekend that the balloon was shot down, you may remember it, depending on where you were in the United States, I'm here in Washington, it actually was a very cold weekend.
0: Yeah, it was eight degrees in New York when I took the dog out.
1: Right, right. There was a lot of cold Arctic air that was moving down. Uh, uh, And this was, of course, not something that we were only feeling here. The location in China uh, recorded its coldest temperature on record, I think, in the entire country. So it was a pretty cold weekend. But what our modeling shows, and we we got our friends at the Capital Weather Gang, which are our sort of in-house meteorologists, to model this. And what they were able to kind of map out is that around January 24th, when this balloon would have been around 1,000 miles south of Japan, the model shows that it begins to pick up speed and rapidly veer to the north. And that this was in response to a strong cold front that had then you know, unleashed this very cold weather that we're talking about over northern China, the Korean Peninsula, and over Japan. And ordinarily what would happen is that atmospheric steering motions, this is the, the, our meteorologist talking, would have kept this balloon on a much more west-to-east course. The historical weather data shows that, that the atmosphere and the way these winds move would have kept it moving more west-to-east. But this intense cold front actually comes and forces the jet stream that kind of pushes it down and, and and these high altitude steering currents basically like are like a giant scoop they come in and they dip south and they actually scoop up the balloon and carry it northward if not potentially for this you know kind of anomalous super cold blast of air coming in the air currents that would normally take this balloon from west to east would have behaved normally. But this gets changed and could explain why the balloon veers wildly off its expected course and goes all the way up to the Aleutian Islands in Alaska.
0: And China has no way to course correct that?
1: So these balloons generally, and we think this one specifically, do have some steering mechanism. But we're really talking about like rudders and maybe some propellers that can move the balloon maybe side to side. They can pitch it up and down. What the balloons are designed to do is ride the air currents. And if they're predictable, and you know, and you've modeled it correctly, I suppose, you kind of know which direction it's going to take you, but they're almost sort of surfing like you would on a wave. They can move around, they can hover and loiter, but it doesn't appear that they would have the capability to just kind of steer their way out of a really fast-moving current that may have caught this one up.
0: When did it occur to you, that, hey, maybe this was an accident?
1: I have to say, from the beginning, (laughs) and I'm not patting myself on the back here, but from the moment this balloon showed up, I thought to myself, why would the government of China float this, you know, 60-meter-tall balloon with this giant surveillance apparatus, as we all have now famously heard, the size of three buses, why would you float that over the continental United States? When you know it's going to be seen, you know that it's going to end up on television, potentially. The military is then going to respond to it. The government's going to say it belongs to you, China, and they're going to try and shoot it down. What would be the intelligence gain
0: you get from that? Shane says it seemed implausible to him that the Chinese government would want to cause an international incident, especially since Secretary of State Tony Blinken was about to get on a plane to China. To meet with Xi Jinping.
1: And not to give credence to you know official statements that come out of, you know, the government of China, but the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which was clearly we now can see caught pretty flat footed by this, came out with a statement very quickly saying, No, 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 this is actually just a civilian weather balloon and it got caught up in the winds and went off course. And I said to some colleagues here, like, look, obviously we're skeptical of any of these statements that are coming out, but that does not seem implausible that a balloon or device like this could get caught in a wind current based on how we were quickly learning these things operate and the limited steering capabilities that they have, you know, and float over the United States. So I was just always a little bit skeptical that this was an intentional, you know, flyover of the U.S. with a balloon.
0: There are so many details in this entire story and in your reporting that are sort of like fascinating bits of improvisation. Um, One of them is that even if this was an accident caused by the weather, by the time this balloon was hanging out over nuclear sites in Montana, they were sort of like, well, might as well seize the opportunity and gather some intel while we're here. Um, Like, the whole thing seems so, I don't know, darkly funny in in its spontaneity?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a window into how operations, secretive operations, often go in large bureaucracies, whether they be in China or the United States. Sometimes things you just not, do not go as planned. And the window you kind of got into the Chinese government here was that the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, is running this balloon program. It doesn't appear that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs knew that this balloon was headed over—that's the equivalent of our State Department— was heading over to the United States. This is almost like you could imagine, like, imagine that the CIA was running a secret balloon program, and it pops up over China, and nobody told the State Department. And then China turns to the State Department and says, what the hell is this? What's this balloon? And they're looking at, like, what balloon? What are you talking about? What's a balloon? Wait, that thing? Uh, uh, Yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a weather balloon. And you can kind of see how, and we have reporting on this too, that the response internally in this, you know, very controlled hierarchy in China where famously it's, you know, not an incentive to live to deliver bad news up the chain, you could see them being caught kind of flat-footed and the story changed as time went on. Um, and that too kind of presented to me as potentially a sign that, you know, this was maybe an accident of some kind or that things had gone off track, you know, or had been blown off course to torture the metaphor.
0: When we come back, the U.S. military starts shooting things out of the sky. On February 4th, the US makes a decision to shoot this thing down. Were they at the time thinking this is an oopsie? This is a threat, this is scary. What's going on?
1: At that point, I think that it's that they're considering both possibilities. It's fair to say, no, they're still considering both possibilities, US intelligence analysts. They've not reached a conclusion. But at that point, according to our reporting, there's already a fairly Good set of evidence for a hypothesis that this was a mistake that it didn't really mean to go there. We should also say, though, you know, and as you noted, when the balloon does get over the continental United States, it does start to loiter over certain, you know, sensitive targets, which was one way that the military gained more confidence that this was actually a surveillance craft and not a weather balloon. So that may be that. Okay, well, they're here; they might as well get the most out of it because the cover's already blown. But when they decide to shoot this thing down, I mean, there there are kind of two factors in play. One is that, you know, this is a foreign object, a foreign aircraft that violated U.S. airspace. It's a violation of our sovereignty. There has to be some kind of response to that. The other is the military had spent days circling the balloon with sensors, and aircraft with sensors on board, taking pictures of it, you know, sucking off every electronic and electromagnetic signal that this balloon and its devices were emitting, trying to understand it. And at the end of that, before it can then cross out of U.S. airspace off the coast of South Carolina, of course, they want to get an even closer look. So you shoot it down so that you can recover what they call the payload, that thing that's hanging underneath the balloon, so that you can then go and pry open the computers and look at the camera or the signal's intelligence capability of it and really kind of dissect it. Um, Because, you know, you might get a good look at a balloon up close, but to really be able to get in there and pry it open would be potentially a very uh, significant intelligence boon for the U.S.
0: At the same time that this is happening, there are reports of some sort of UFO over Uruguay. And then, rather rapidly, the U.S. and Canada start tracking other objects in the sky. The military, Shane says, had recalibrated its radar so it was picking up more UAPs. It's fair to say there was a feeling of urgency around all of this.
1: And now they're seeing other unidentified flying objects, which kind of exhibit some of the behavioral characteristics of a balloon, right? It's high altitude, it's slow-moving. So they send jets to go up and kind of take a look at it. What's different in these other three cases is that they're floating at altitudes that are lower than the Chinese spy balloon. Chinese spy balloon is around 60,000 feet. We think these objects were more like 40,000 feet and under. If you've flown commercially on an airplane, you know that's where you tend to cruise, right? So they're kind of in potentially the traffic lanes of civilian aviation. That creates a threat. But the military doesn't seem to be all that interested in these cases and trying to get too close to them and studying them. Whether or not that's because they were deemed immediately a threat to civil aviation, or perhaps there is now some kind of pressure to basically get these things down out of the sky immediately before they can, you know, gather any information. We're still not entirely sure why the sort of shoot-first-ask-questions-later kind of model takes over, but it seems to. And these are all shot down in in fairly, you know, remote locations as well, um, where, you know, they could be presumably safely then recovered. What we now know is the government has come out and said— that these do not appear to be related to the Chinese surveillance program; these might actually be weather balloons.
0: <laughs> okay, but like the fact that the U.S. is firing a four hundred thousand dollar missile—actually, two of them—over Lake Huron. One of them just like went off into the water. I don't. I don't like. I don't know what to make of that.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure the military and the Biden administration know what to make of it yet, either. I don't think that that policy is sustainable. I don't think that if we're now going to have these finely tuned radars that pick up on weather balloons that the military can just scramble jets and shoot them down to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars a pop to say nothing of the, you know, the maintenance of the plane and the gas and the rest of it and shut down civilian airspace in the process of doing it. I think that there is a kind of reaction right now that, is based on concerns that these could be surveillance devices or they could be a threat to aviation, and until the military and the intel community can do a better job of understanding which objects are actually threats and which ones are ones they can ignore, they're in the mode of, like, we have to respond to this thing. Right, we have to be proactive about that. I don't think it's really driven by politics, although the politics kind of suffuses this whole discussion.
0: You should be tougher, you shouldn't have let this thing go, blah, blah, blah.
1: Never mind that, you know, they were observing it and gathering a ton of intelligence potentially about it. But, you know, the military doesn't take lightly to the foreign objects flying through the airspace. So I think that what you'll see is probably sooner rather than later as the government starts to understand better what these things are and which ones they can actually ignore and which ones might really pose a threat, you you hopefully you won't see you know fighter jets scrambling at you know every instance of these. And we should say too, you know presumably these kinds of devices and objects have been floating around for a long time. Actually, we know that many of them have been floating around because they were written up in things like the intelligence community's report on unidentified aerial phenomena,
0: which you came on to talk about,
1: which we talked about a couple of years ago exactly. So you know, we don't know how, like if any of these balloons were those UAPs, but we do know that subsequent to you know the conversation you and I had, many of those objects that were flagged as unidentified have retroactively been identified as balloons or, you know, just debris in the atmosphere. I mean, it turns out that floating around in the air out there is all kinds of stuff that, you know, radars may be picking up. Maybe humans didn't really recognize or were able to identify at the time, but now we can go back and say, ah, okay, now we know more about how balloons behave. These look like weather balloons.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of UFO jokes on Twitter. I may have made a few. But the military was pretty circumspect about what the objects were.
1: I think the military didn't want to say too quickly what they were. Some of them didn't appear exactly, you know, balloon-shaped. I mean, there were reports that one of them seemed to have an octagonal structure. Right. One of them was reported as having a cylindrical structure. (laughs) And we're used to seeing balloons that look like, you know, spheres. These also went down in fairly remote areas. It, It probably took some time for them to assess them, maybe by, let's say, flying over, taking pictures of the debris. And what was so kind of, you know, fascinating and hilarious and also kind of stunning at the same time, was that you know, White House officials had to come out to the podium and say, we have no evidence that this is a form of extraterrestrial life.
0: There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we've been hearing a lot about it.
1: Right. And then like a day or two later, they're like, yeah, it's probably just a bullet. But like that kind of gives you a sense of how This whole story was unfolding. The military is trying as quickly as they can to learn what the hell are these things. They don't fully know. The human imagination starts to fill in the gaps. And, you know, then you've got the press secretary at the White House saying, like, well, pretty sure they're not aliens. Uh, It's just that kind of gives you the sense of how fast-moving and just wild this story has been.
0: On Thursday, the president himself said these three things, whatever they are, are still being analyzed.
1: We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were.
2: But nothing nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other any other country.
0: Well, the other part of it that is totally wild is to hear that like it's really possible that an F22 was deployed after somebody's science project?
1: Yeah, right? Like the radar sees what the radar sees. It's up to the human being to decide whether it's a threat and at least for now, when these objects are popping up, you know, on the systems, the military is not taking too many chances. You know, I don't think there was any expectation that this was, you know, a fighter jet. It wasn't moving fast enough. But one possibility we should consider is what if it were a drone? I mean, the U.S. intelligence community has been collecting information and some of it's been coming out publicly about China in particular and their use of, uh, drones, unmanned aerial vehicles that have been used to monitor ships and military installations. If this was a government drone that was up there in the atmosphere, then yeah, you would absolutely expect that the military would say, "Well, yes, we're going to shoot that thing down because it's you know it's an, it's an adversarial craft." So, I think they're in the mode of right now. and The military is in the mode right now of saying, "Until we can positively identify what it is, you know, we're not going to take any chances."
0: Let's spin back to the last time we talked. 2021, this big intel community report on on UAPs. One of the things that I took away from that conversation was the amount of stuff that's in the sky that I, I wasn't, frankly, really thinking about. And, and since then, what have we learned about how much of that stuff is surveillance-related?
1: I think that we've learned that a lot of it is balloons. I don't know that we know how many of those are surveillance balloons, but we have learned that a good number of those things were probably drones as well. So that would be in the surveillance category. Yeah. So a lot of what was categorized as UAPs or UFOs, if you like, a good chunk of that may actually have been state-sponsored spying, right? Spying from the air, which is, you know, is, is a you know a, a long tradition. It's just with different new technologies. We now. do it too. We do it all the time, and we do it very, very well. <laughs> we, we, you know, we perfected the art. We even used it to spy on the Chinese spy balloon. We flew a U two spy plane over the top of it. Um, so you know, spy w-
0: planes I, all the way down.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, so yes, I think you know a, a significant amount of what was previously unidentified, you know, may prove to be intelligence related. And you know, if you remember when we were first talking about this a couple of years ago. You know, we were discussing how one reason why the military and the intelligence community were now encouraging, like, military personnel to, if you see something strange in the sky, you know, don't be afraid you're going to be laughed at, you know, for reporting little green men, say it. And the reason is, was they had a basis for believing, like, these could be surveillance craft, right? These could be you know, planes or drones from China or Russia sent to gather information about our secrets, our military, and and we want to stop that from happening. So I think what you're seeing now is kind of like that sort of the basis for that concern that informed this whole new approach to gathering information about UAPs and trying to study them, you're seeing some of that now play out because information that the military and the intelligence agencies have been gathering over time about things like how surveillance balloons behave and how to recognize what they'll often call as the signature of that craft. You know, what altitude does it move at? What signals does it send out? How does it look on the radar That's then helping them positively identify things that were previously not identified and helping them identify them. In some cases, it appears in closer to real time, which is maybe what happened with these three other objects that were shot down.
0: I think another thing that was so fascinating about this was it seemed like we were watching this sort of chaotic policy shift happening in real time, right? Like, oh, we're doing this. No, we're doing that. Uh, We're trying to figure it out. Are there any lessons you think that that you and your colleagues have drawn from from watching how the US government reacted to I guess the the events of the past 2 weeks and and whether that's going to inform the way the US makes policy going forward in this very crowded airspace?
1: I think that what this revealed was there's a pretty profound level of anxiety in the U.S. government about objects flying through our airspace that could potentially be hostile, that the military and the intelligence agencies take it very seriously. Um, You know, we were all joking, and I was there, you know, first among them, (laughs) joking about the Chinese spy balloon in 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 the vein of, you know, Why are we getting so worked up about this? China is engaged in computer hacking and human spying and all kinds of intelligence gathering. But the military takes very seriously incursions into the airspace, threats to aviation, and yes, intelligence gathering in the U.S. And I think what this administration has shown is that it too takes it very seriously and that it is willing to risk what repairs it think it might be able to make to the U.S.-China relationship for responding to... These incursions. It also tells us, I think, that the military has the ability to kind of on the fly recalibrate its sensors, adapt to new information, and quickly come up with some new policy response to it. We talked to one official who sort of described what was happening with these radars being finely tuned or retuned as, you know, when you go on like a car buying website or any retail website and you start unchecking boxes. But like, you know, like maybe you had like a show me red cars between thirty and thirty-two thousand dollars, right? And now you say,
0: Well, I don't care how many miles it has, like, yeah, sure, go for
1: yeah, it. Just yeah, just kind of show me more. And like tons of results are gonna come back, right? Well, you know, people have said to us, that's sort of what happened with the radar, is that you know, these balloons may have been there and not really recognized or just being filtered out. And the military said, Well, move remove some of these filters so we see more. And lo and behold, when you do that, you see a lot more. And now you have to kind of check out which one of these things might be a threat. Well, the military, turns out, has a way to do that. And it seems, anyway, from what we can tell, can do that pretty quickly and, and pretty fiercely too, insofar as they then shot them down. So I think that this tells us that, you know, the military has that capability and it's going to use it because they've, you know, and until they can figure out how to better filter, right? They're going to respond to these things as if they could potentially be threats. So again, that kind of tells you about or shows you something of the level of anxiety and concern they have around this, which then to me makes more sense of why two years ago, you know, despite kind of all of the jokes that they knew they were going to get, they were telling people, hey, we're studying UFOs, not because we're looking for aliens, but because we're looking for incursions and threats into the airspace.
0: That report and this past couple of weeks also, to, to me, marks an interesting shift. For for a long time, the U.S. military and, you know, various administrations and, and the intelligence community used secrecy around aerial phenomena to its advantage, right? Like, yeah, sure, let people believe in aliens because it helped them keep things secret. And now it feels like there is a Strategic choice of openness or openness to a certain degree because they can get more information.
1: You're right that you know in the 50s and 60s it was useful. And I think it's been shown through reporting and public records, the government did let people believe there were UFOs so that it could actually mask secret research into advanced aircraft that the military was developing out in Nevada, for instance. Now You are seeing this this greater openness, and part of what I think might be motivating this is that this administration in particular, and they did this in the run-up to the war in Ukraine, where they were, you know, disclosing and declassifying a lot of intelligence that they had about what they knew the Russian military was planning and what they were up to in in the days before the invasion, is saying we can use intelligence, once secret information, to expose what other countries are doing that we think are not in our interest. And, you know, when I talk to intelligence officials, there's a real recognition of the power of using this multi-billion dollar information gathering apparatus called the intelligence community to then affect policy.
0: And the internet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they get it. I mean, they get the power of information here. And I think that what was also really interesting when the Chinese spy balloon pops up I mean, look, if it hadn't have broken as a news story, I don't know that the government would have publicized it. Um, but remember, people on the ground were seeing it and putting it on social media. Once that thing pops up, it's not like the military starts hiding and the White House has no questions, no questions. They're pretty forthcoming with information out of the gate. You know, President Biden was in the air when the F-22 shot down uh, the, uh, the balloon off South Carolina He lands in Air Force One and he's out there on the tarmac with the aviator sunglasses on and the engines going and he's like, On Wednesday, when I was briefed on the balloon, I ordered the Pentagon to shoot it down on Wednesday as soon as possible. It successfully took it down and I want to compliment our aviators who did it and we'll have more to report on this uh, a little later. I mean, it was like a perfect made-for-television moment, right? So, I mean, I think this administration leaned into all of that a lot and figured that, look, we have all of this intelligence. It's not like you can hide the thing from people. Let's talk about it. Let's tell people what we see.
0: Shane Harris, thank you for your reporting and for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Shane Harris covers intelligence and national security for The Washington Post. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch. This is Tori's last show, and I wanna say what an absolute pleasure it has been to work with her. We will miss her impeccable judgment and infinite kindness. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, I have a little request for you. Like us, rate us, subscribe, and become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.